You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. <clears throat> Matt Dye. And, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it's May now. It's hard to believe. Right in the middle of food plot season. Um, you know, it's one get, of the big it's things. It's getting there. Helping us, you know, Stratton has been with us for several years now. One of our first guys back in 2017, 2018. Yep. I can't remember. Um, I think it was 2017 when we started really planting and working with him. I think that's right. Um, and so, Stratton. Uh, you know, food plots are coming up, guys. You can go to our landalegacy.tv, click on the shop tab, go to all the varieties we have. We're selling the seed like crazy. I keep seeing, Popping you know, up emails. this ding, is a ding, small ding. operation here. It's Matt, myself, and your my wife. My wife pretty well run the run the, the shop. And uh, so it's like a lot of you guys that order and you got questions, you're going to probably get an email from her or a forwarded email to me, and then I will email you. So... Um, we're, we're running a tight ship here, um, but it's been really awesome to see the amount of seed go out. We have, we're helping Stratton get dealers across the country. If you're a listener and you're considering a way to make some side money. Um, and it's not a huge cumbersome process to accomplish that. And you don't have to be your own big store or have a big storefront or anything like that. You can sell that out out of your garage. Yep. So, right. so it's it's a very easy process, and if you're in an area that has a lot of hunters, has a lot of food plotters, you may uh, consider using that as an option. Absolutely, if you know a lot of buddies. Yeah. Because um, the pricing is great. We'll cover it in the next coming weeks as mm-hmm. we have Stratton and camp and hunt with them. We'll cover podcasts. But, um, you know, when you look at the pricing, um, it's, it's phenomenal. And so if you're a, a guy in whatever – Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, and you're thinking about, you know, I know a bunch of buddies. I'd like to place an order. Well, talk to them about becoming a dealer and then order a pallet of seed and yep. then add that. Okay, suggested retail prices. A lot of this stuff's around 40 45 bucks. Add a few dollars to it. Figure out what the shipping is to get it there. Add that to the top, and you're still coming out cheaper than a lot of the competing uh, seed pl- uh, food plot varieties. So. Yeah, totally. Yep, and, um, and a great a great product, great mixtures, great blends, great varieties, and so there there's there's something to be planted kind of for everybody, and a lot of different game options as well, migratory birds, um, whether it's waterfowl upland or upland birds, upland side things too, um, so a lot of a lot of great options. Yeah, and so you know Stratton's helped making this podcast possible. If you want to know more, you can check out uh, their blends on our webpage for online ordering. Uh, TV shop tab, and then also um, go to gostratandseed.com to check out, you know, the team and uh, the varieties over there. But I believe you're going to have to order through our site if you want it. Uh, but you've got Heritage Blend, the 
the Game Changer soybeans, the Ancestry blend, a whole bunch of stuff. So go check it out, guys. All right. Oh, <sighs> man. So we're right in the heart of turkey season coming yep. into the last week uh, here in Missouri. Which is a great a great week if you're a turkey hunter and, and you're in Missouri. It's the best week. Hands down. If... If you can wait until that last week, Uh, in my opinion. Year in and year out, the third week is like, okay, if I'm hunting a farm and the turkeys have been hinned up, there's Mm -hmm. a very good chance they're not going to be hinned up the last week. Yep. Um, They just respond and work better to a call. Yeah. You may not get as much gobbling as you did the first week, but when they do gobble, there's a good chance they're coming. (laughs) They're they're usually walking in your direction. (laughs) Yeah. And so... Uh, I know Seth has, and you and Chad have hunted over there, and he's been pretty frustrated he, he, he dealing with end-up turkeys. And I'm like, the, just wait till last week. Yeah, this is like the toughest turkey season Seth says he has had in 10 years. Uh, so, um, and it's no, not it's because no, there's no birds. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's not a shortage of birds. Um, we're seeing birds, getting birds to respond. They're gobbling decent on the limb, but um, flying down, they're just – courtesy gobbles and not uh not actually coming to a call hanging very tight with hens and um so you know i was i was telling him this too considering some other regions of the country that are hunting hard and and they're calling to birds or they think they're calling to birds and they're not getting a response or not getting the the gobbling that they want to hear that could be for a potential of the lack of birds, but but that's not the case. And I would much rather be in a case where, hey, I know there's birds here. They're just not cooperating. They're just not tuned up, opposed to walking and calling to an air in an area that just doesn't have a lot of birds. And so to me, it's like, hey, it's just a matter of time. But yeah, we're we're Sunday evening, getting ready to go into the last full week of turkey season, um, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. The guys from Stratton are coming up. Looks like we've got. Some some decent weather um, this week, so should should be should be pretty fun. I know we're gonna have fun with those guys, um, just getting out and sharing camp with them. Absolutely. So it'll it'll be good. Chainsaw Chad's not working at all, so he'll be around too. So Seth, I think it's gonna have a little bit of time to hunt. Wait, so. Chad's not going to work this week. Does he go any week? <laughs> I was. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah. Is he off this week? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. He was talking about wanting to go tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't just, I can't just go every day. <laughs> and, and he's he, off the whole week. I didn't know that. It's third week. He's like, I, I, I never worked third week. I said, okay, well, cool. Yeah, he's not going tomorrow. I mean, he's no. not going at work. all this week. Nope, nope. And by at all, we mean the four days because he works <laughs> four ten. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, I had no idea. Yep. So he he's gonna be around. Well, shoot, Stratton guys. That's what I I told him. I said if they. If they uh, if they kill one, we're gonna run up, do something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know he was gonna be there, so I oh, know yeah. that. <clears throat> yep. We'll be kind of veering off. I got another farm I haven't hunted yet, and uh, we'll be instead of heading to to the one where Chad's in front of me in the line, we'll be veering off and the <laughs> other farm. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna yeah. hunt fresh birds. Yeah. There you go. Oh man. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's cool. Um. Yeah, I know we're going to be building fence, too, in the afternoons. But, um, you know, it, uh, the third week's awesome. I, I know we've we've covered so much turkey stuff, man. It's the longest series we've done. Yeah. We just started doing series this winter. I really enjoy it. Um, but this, this whole turkey series has really, really gone on a while, and I know people are probably a little bit like, okay, I get it. I'm ready for food plots now. <laughs> I get it. I'm going to yeah. burn and cut wood or cut trees. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Let's move on. Well, guess what? Now we're doing deer series. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah. I'm not. We're not really doing it. But guess all what? the way through, cut December. timber and burn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> same, same story, same message. Just, just different, different ways you go about it. And ah, man, that's what that's what is neat. That's so it's so fun. Um, I guess while while we are on Turkey Story, jump into like this full week's podcast. There is there is another thing that I saw I guess this week that it didn't necessarily bother me but it's just a clarification to add into the turkey management series um but but there's a conversation that was had and someone chose to go and hunt a different 
farm because they didn't have a lot of turkeys on their farm. Said, so, well, I just don't want to shoot, you know, some of the turkeys that I have because I'm, I'm just conscious and, and careful of how many birds I'm taking off that property, which is, number one, hands down, a great place to be in your mind and, yep. s- and acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm not seeing or I'm not hearing as many turkeys as I have once heard. And that's important to to be observant in that manner and say, I'm not going to harvest as many as I have in the past, number yep. one. So don't, don't take this in the, any way negatively. This is just where I would say the rubber meets the road. It is a great thing to recognize that and say, I'm not going to, to kill an existing member of the population. But I'll say this from a management side of things, that doesn't recruit more birds necessarily. That's not like a an equal, like, okay, that means mm-hmm. that there's going to be a ton next year. Yeah. Again, it's you can't a step. S- you can't stockpile your turkeys. Right, right. So the the issue with, with turkey populations right now and, and what the research has suggested and what Chamberlain, Collier, who have been guests on this management podcast have talked about, it's the recruitment of turkeys. So by not killing a gobbler, again, that's a good that's a good thing. He can maybe, you know, breed more hens. I, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But but it is the recruitment of those successful nests that go into poults that go into the adult population. That's that's the issue that we're having. So yeah. it is great to withhold from harvesting a bird, but if we really want to make a difference, we have to make that observant, uh, you know, Okay, there's not as many turkeys. We have to yep. withhold a harvest, but then we also have to manipulate the landscape to totally. allow the 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 hens to reproduce better, the nest to be more successful, and the broods to actually survive and to get to yep. the adults. That's where I, like I, that I rubber think, meets the road. I think where I I guess you know not to play devil's advocate in that is some of the research that Chamberlain's talked about is the pecking order of turkeys, sure, and how it can take days. For a disrupted pecking order right. to be sorted out, and there be a new king of the for, of the for breeding, then to continue. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. And so I look at it as like you know, if if there's only if I'm looking at a flock of like ten hens, and uh-huh. there's only one long beard around, and he's the only one I'm hearing, and it's early in the season, I don't know if there's another one around here to fill that spot pretty quickly. Yeah. And so I guess be you ca- know I'd be very cautious. Yeah, for Very sure, cautious. and and I, I guess we're pumping the brakes to me, and even on our own farm, I've Chad and I have pumped the brakes where it's like we're not going to get after him as much as we used to because it's like, yes, I get we can't stockpile turkeys. We can't, by not shooting a tom this year doesn't mean he's going to be gobbling in the same spot next year. It, you're, you're simply acknowledging the research and saying, I'm just not going to interrupt the breeding cycle as much by me going in and harvesting him. Yeah. Therefore, I'm I'm feeling as if I'm going to have a better chance of more hens on the landscape having nests, therefore yeah. increasing more nest success. That yeah. all makes sense. Yeah. But and we, then the I mean <coughs> the one thing I mean this is undisputable. If I kill him, he ain't gobbling next year. <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> Absolutely. It's correct. a it's a small margin. But there is a chance that he makes it the next year. Yeah. And so uh, that's, I guess, you know, I killed one. And that's one thing that we preached so much last year. We made a very popular podcast uh, called Producer versus Consumer. Are you a producer or a consumer? And, I mean, how many times have we seen it even this year of guys that are are like – I find it a little bit – it's not humorous because it's kind of sad, but some of the the loudest people – that I see talking about, I'm not hearing any turkeys. I'm not seeing any turkeys. And they're talking about it on social media. Like, where were you in January and February burning? Yeah. Where were you cutting? When did you run a chainsaw this year? Because all I saw were those fishing photos you were doing all spring. <laughs> it's like you can't, you're not going to help the turkeys by fishing your way to healthy habitat. No. Or you're not going to help the quail by golfing your way to a uh, a three under par, a, a birdie 
and a, golf doesn't mean a birdie or a new, a new hatch lane, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, focusing on birdies does not, yeah. does not mean you get more quail. <laughs> it means there's a chainsaw in your hand then a drip torch the next weekend. Yeah, or a herbicide sprayer. And I love golf, but put down the nine iron if you want more quail. Okay, you, you love turkeys. golf. When's the yeah. last time you golf? Last summer. There you go. I love fishing. When's the last time you went fishing, Matt? <laughs> when we did know. the film with Slate and Glass? Two summers ago? Three. Three? Okay. I think it was three. Some, it'll be three this, this yeah, summer. For sure. For sure it will. Yeah. yeah. In a long time. And that's, I love, I, I love, love golf. I love a day on the river. I love, I I mean, love awesome. fishing. But, man, there's a lot of work to do on the farm. Which And which, I've turned that into a new love that I can probably, I'll probably tell you, there's some days it's not as much fun, but there's a lot of days where working on the farm is more fun than I can have on the river. I'll, this is a great segue, honestly, into our podcast for this week where we're, where we're talking about things that we know to be true. And I know this to be true, that if if the work that has been done thus far, let's, let's take the, the Prairie Hollow property or, you know, the farm down the there farm, together. Yep. Mm-hmm. If some of the work that has been done thus far over the past three, four, or five years, if that wasn't in place, we would not be seeing or hearing, or let's say having the same opening day of turkey season that no. you and Chad experienced, no. where there was seven different long beards within gun range throughout the entire morning, yeah, or or and and numerous other birds gobbling around. Yep. And a wonderful spring. I mean, we were we, we sat there after you had harvested a bird, and we were just walking, and there was a, a bird just, you know, kind of randomly gobbled off in the distance. Um, it's kind of close. We're just kind of making that game plan of, like, where what should we do? What should we do? I just sat there. I was like, I think I said it to you guys. I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. Like, it's unfortunate, though, that although this happens every day in the spring, every morning, this is how the woods here wake up. I can only... I can only participate in it a handful of days, right? Yeah. But but there's some people right now who who are waking up trying to pursue an animal that isn't there, that has yeah. been there in the past. And and I know this to be true though, if you don't get out there and do the work, you're going to continue to have the silent springs. Yep. And and how disappointing is a silent spring in the turkey woods? And it's not going to be as fun as golf because you're sweating, you're working hard. But I can guarantee you this, it's going to be way more rewarding than than dropping 10 strokes in a golf game. Like, oh, yeah. It is going to be incredible because you see this progression and it's it's at your hand of improved habitat. Wildlife populations respond positively. And now you can sit back and have the option of saying, do I go and pursue a second bird or do I just sit back and I enjoy this amazing morning that, that God created? Yeah, totally. Um, And and that I had the knowledge and ability to help manipulate the landscape to allow that to happen again and again and again. And and the thing about it is too, if you focus on what we're going to talk about, uh, the, the turnaround is pretty quick. Yeah, it can't. It absolutely can be. Where if th- you don't th- wait too long, I think so many times <clears throat> that the people are choose they choose minerals, they choose they choose uh, food plots, they choose whatever X Y Z. Yep. Because they're like, well, this is a quicker return than a feeder. Or this okay, is, a feeder versus or, or versus even, native restoration this or is, chainsaw. This is just easier to do that I can set a trail camera up and see my work or my time having an impact. Yeah. Because yeah, anyone could go put a feeder up, put a trail camera up and see that deer going to go to it. Yeah. But what is that impact? It's not really anything. It's like this. <laughs> it's in the wind and yeah. just gone. Right. Like you didn't by having that feeder there, you 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 maybe didn't improve the chances for that fawn that the doe came to the feeder. You didn't you didn't improve its chances to actually make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By, by by taking the time to put the feeder out, and again, 
all all of that is not bad. It's just where in the process are you? Do you find yourself? And we often find the things that is maybe a cherry on top. You forgot about the Sunday. You didn't. You didn't have a Sunday first to put the cherry on top. You you tried you to just put the cherry the in the bowl before the dessert. Right. And so we can't do some of these practices that are easier to implement without first having the foundation built. We're not gonna. We're not gonna put a roof on a on a on a foundation or a structure that doesn't have walls. That doesn't have you know supporting um, sides to be able to actually call it a house that that doesn't make sense and so there's a process and an order to it all but at the end of the day that leads into the to the discussion that we're going to have on yeah. the podcast and and this comes from a an actually a sermon that uh, or couple couple sermons from our church and um our pastor used a phrase that I had never heard used in this way before so it kind of hit me I was like Wow, that that seems that seems different. So did a little bit of research into it. And he explained it very well, um, but it made an impact. It made me think, like, huh? Now that's that's interesting. How could that be applied to what it is, Adam? You and I do every day, or what Kyle and Frank do every day, uh, or the way Chad Chad believes. Yeah. Um, Chainsaw Chad, that is, because his name's not Chad anymore. It's just Chainsaw Chad. <laughs> so so, I think know, uh, to me it's like this. I'm a Christian, and and there's the conviction or the foundation that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He came to earth. He died. He came back three days later, and because I believe in him and I believe in that, that I will get to spend eternity with him. Yep. That's my foundation. Yeah, I mean, that, So that's... whatever happens here on earth— doesn't matter because I have my faith in Jesus Christ. Right. And when you go to land management, there's principles or foundation of things that we believe to be true and are own are are, are undisputed. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just fact. Like th- that's the thing of the, the the phrase that was used is, I'm convicted by these things, mm-hmm. and, and and so what we're going to share this week on the podcast is our convictions about land management. And so the things that we know to be absolutely true and to be rock solid, hardcore evidence based on scientific fact were just the way that creation was designed and, and ordered by God. And so these are the things that we hold truth to our our hearts and then the way that we may look at a property or manage a property. Um, but but what was weird, you had got the definition pulled up. Is, yeah, is definition I, of conviction. I had never heard the word conviction used in this manner. And so that phrase caught me off guard and kind of confused me at first. But then now by looking up I and just, researching it, so it makes you way, Google way more sense. Con- so, yeah. Convicted definition. Um, so in use, I feel convicted yep. of X, Y, Z. So, uh, can, can conv- you please use this in a sentence? Yeah. Convicted <laughs> having been declared guilty of a criminal offense by the verdict of a jury or decision of a judge. I think that's what most people that's think That's the of. most common usage or that that's what my mind went to when I heard the phrase. Yeah. But, but this, uh, Webster says the act of a process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law. Well, that's the one I just shared. Another one being strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced. And then another one is the act of convincing a person of error or compelling the admission of a truth. And then finally, the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. And that's where our pastor, that's where, that's the one we're using today is the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. And so yep. we're compelled to admit what we believe to be the truth, and it's not really a belief, it's just what we believe just, is true. the truth of landscapes or of land management, of habitat management. Yep. And this is where, I guess, so many times people, I mean, it's 2021. Every Everybody's watching YouTube or social media, and they're taking information from a whole long list of different people. And it could be other consultants. It could be other natural resource management companies. It could be a government agency. Mm-hmm. And so many of our listeners, or when they... could be a writer. Or could, could be a writer. Uh, another could, hunter. 
it could be just a, a hunter on yep. on uh, Outdoor Channel or YouTube that made their or made their living shooting yeah. deer or whatever, and then they have some advice on land management, mm-hmm. and somebody listens to it and then sends us a link and says, "What is your guy's opinion of this?" Yeah, and when people ask me that, so they understand. Um, I really kind of it kind of falls into these convictions, yeah. Of going, well, well how does it fit in this? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that and that's it's almost like it's this set of checks and balances for is this sound or is it not? Like, uh-huh. do, do the principles of biology and and the facts, the matter of creation, the way it was de- designed, does it fit into this mold? And if it doesn't probably not going to necessarily agree with the way in which that it was done. So if that's the case, then yeah, we're going to have to, you know, adjust the way that we're going to approach um, that conversation or discussion, what have you. So these, these, as we're going into the podcast deeper, are going to be our convictions of land management. Yeah. Not that we're found guilty of anything besides believing in truth. This and, is the and, truth and that we believe in, yeah. and we feel compelled to share it with you. Absolutely, because if you know truth, just as if you were are a Christian, you're compelled to share that truth. You're yeah. compelled to be open about it, and you're going to want to share it because you know it to be fact. And you want everyone to have a piece of that pie or a piece of that truth. Yeah, and, and I know that there's some people who might be saying, well, that, that seems crazy. You guys are making the comparison between Jesus Christ and land management. We're just using a, an example of, of the that's base. truth. Yeah. This is truth. And and I'll be the first to say, go back and listen to other podcasts where there's so many ties between the creation and getting people outside and working in it in the way that God can speak directly to you through that. So that's another reason. There's another conviction. I'm convinced that that was the purpose of creation. To be able to totally. allow us to be able to get outside and watch and look at the design of the Creator and say, wow, holy cow, the more I research, the more I learn, the more I look at the landscape and its perfect design, the more I see just how much glory I should give God because this is amazing. Oh, well, this I look is at intricate. It, I can look at it detailed. a couple different ways. Almost like, you know, the Bible is a living word. It, mm-hmm. it changes for you depending on your season of life. As you read it, you're going to pull out different parts yep. that apply to your life, even if it's the same verse. Right. Um, five years ago, it meant this. Now yeah. it means this. Five more years, it's going to mean something else. Exactly. And I feel like the the natural world is similar in mm-hmm. the standpoint of like one day I can walk out there in a bad mood or feeling like I'm unimportant and I can look at a tiny little flower and see the intricate details like a yellow lady slipper that's mm-hmm. getting ready to bloom at our farm um, and be like, whoa, there's so much detail in that over a plant that yep. has no brain, has no soul, and... God, the man who, or the the the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, took that much time to develop that and create that. Yeah, I'm. I I have a soul. I have the opportunity to have a relationship with him, and therefore, I feel a little bit more important. I feel like I have purpose in my life. Or another day, you could go out and just be like, look at this oak tree, or look at this cottonwood. Now go look at this river and realize, whoa, this is a I feel I feel about as big of a as big as a piece of sand and I'm I'm very overwhelmed in the standpoint of like whoa just how big is my god mm-hmm. and exactly. so all those things really it's, it's a perspective like it yeah. allows you to have perspective on on the world and maybe things that you're going through but that's that's a conviction of of why creation is um available t- for us to be able to to enjoy and yeah. be a part of. So so when we're managing um, the landscape, one of my convictions or the things that I'm convicted of is that the best approach to managing a landscape is to manage with the mindset of creating diversity on that landscape. Yep. You have to have diversity. You're 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 not going to find the success comparing side by side monocultures versus diversity and not and, a, and, and we're going to go not a chance that's that's step one the the second conviction i know we both share but but we'll get there in a second but you have to have diverse plant communities because like, let's just go to to the facts if 
if you have a diverse plant community or plant communities offered on a single property and you care about various wildlife, you have to have diversity to have diverse species. Yep. You, you can't just have one single set of, you know, this is the habitat. We have 100 acres of closed canopy forest, all 80 years old, mixture of oaks, hickories, a couple elms, and some maples. Yep. That's essentially a monoculture. That's not going to yep. support a wide array of animals for you to enjoy. the same age. Yeah. You can have monocultures of the same types of plants, mm-hmm. a monoculture of grass. doesn't matter if it's big blue, little blue, Indian, uh, broom sedge, whatever. And then monoculture it's, of structures, too. Yep. It's all the same height. Yep, yep. So, so regardless, I want height variances. I want plant diversity. I want... Um, Root diversity. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter what system we're looking at, whether it is a food plot, whether it is an old field, whether it is a prairie, or whether it is a, a woodlot. I want diversity in the woodlot of all those different things. Plant communities, heights, structures, ages, you name it. That is the best way to manage for to, to manage wildlife on a given property. I'm convicted of that. I, I know that to be the truth. What's something you're convicted of in that, land management? That, well, it kind of all ties together. Yep. But one of the biggest convictions that I that I have that I wish that, uh, well, that I feel like society has forgotten mm-hmm. um, or if they know it, they try to erase it. Uh, and I see this a lot right now in in the fight of climate change <coughs> and the fight of of uh you know trying to create a healthy world mm-hmm. is that a healthy landscape has native disturbances or natural disturbances yeah for sure and some of the biggest disturbances we've said it so much on the podcast so it shouldn't come as any shocker but um, first and foremost, fire yeah. in, in so much of the United States or North America in general was shaped by fire, and that mm-hmm. fire helps create a diverse landscape, yep. which is one of the convic- convictions you mentioned first. Other big one that's I feel I feel like is Way underplayed. It should be it should be just as talked about as fire mm-hmm. and disturbance is grazing. Yeah. And we don't have the American bison widespread like we used to, but we have cattle. cattle. Yeah. And they're not that different. Mm-hmm. And we should be utilizing cattle on the landscape way more. And frankly, I feel like uh, I'm convicted that we should have more cattle on the landscape than we have currently. We should well, be using them totally differently. Yeah. But they should. <coughs> we should have them throughout across the country and uh and frankly it's saddening and sickening to see some of the people wanting to you know cut back on on beef consumption cut back on beef production when or, it's it's or, or the then, very answer to a lot of our issues yeah. for for not only disturbance and diversity but also through insect life, through um, plant communities, soil health, for soil health, water infiltration, so for much, air quality. There, yeah, all the things that climate change discussions mm-hmm. cover. It's like cattle, 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 or and so or, many of those people that set on. You know, we all care about the climate. Let's just get over it. We all do. Yeah, but. It's how do we get to a healthy climate, and that's where so many people disagree. And I'm convicted that cattle have a huge part in getting to a healthier landscape. And, and I'm, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I know that some people are like, "Whoa, that's crazy." So just to explain a little bit more, appropriately managed cattle, I. Which that's which that's the, a whole other discussion. Yeah. Yep. But but to, as a clarifying note, some people don't utilize that tool like they should. No. Some people underutilize it. But the appropriately managed tool, just like prescribed fire, sometimes it's absent, sometimes it's overused. But the appropriate amount of fire on the landscape can be the 
best thing for it, and that's the what yeah. shaped North America. So, so this conviction of mine ties right into the very first one for managing for diverse plant communities, and manages and, and and ties into your convictions that you just shared. But the one of the best ways to get the most out of your property, I'm convicted that you have to look at the historical significance of that site and match that historical site with what it is you're trying to do because the climate, your latitude, your elevation, all those things that make your property your property play into the role of what it can be down the road if managed appropriately. If you you step away from what that landscape wants to be and was designed to uh, be, you're going to trip and fall and trip and fall and trip and fall. And it may be years out. You're trying to steer in a direction. You're trying to go right when it's trying to go left. And guess what? You're not going to win that fight or you're going to have to dump so much money, so much time. You're fighting rainfall. You're fighting climate. You're fighting frosts. You're fighting you know hot temperatures, dry climates, whatever it may be. Acknowledge what it is and then manage for and what manage it should be. Yep. And, and you're not going to have these crazy, drastic issues. And if you don't like that property, sell or, it and buy a different one. Yeah. But but know what you're getting into because if not, then it's just going to be a headache. Don't turn an amazing opportunity to own land into something that's frustrating because you're trying to take it in a direction that it shouldn't have gone to in the first place. Understand what it is you're buying, then if you will, like honor that that legacy and the history of the property and yep. what it should have been historically, and realize that's the best fit for that property. And as a steward of the land, I'm going to take it back in that direction, transform it, and and restore it, and realize that in that process, I'm utilizing these natural disturbances such as fire, maybe grazing in your system, or maybe, uh, or and then and then to create the diverse plant communities that that property may have likely supported originally. Yeah. And the I'm other convicted. disturbance I'm convicted. The other that. disturbance that we don't talk about a lot is flooding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yep. it may not be even major flooding. It may no. be simple flooding from Seasonal. a beaver uh, a beaver pond changing or, and, or and a spring, maneuvering. A spring rain that um that that flooded for let's say six hours that that's going to change and 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 have it play its course in that growing season and i have a couple analogies that that i see that i see with with what we just stated and and trying (coughs) to make things what they're not yep and you may get away with it for a couple of years but then along comes the truth yeah and it sets it back because facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about (laughs) truth does not care about your opinion yeah and it's 2021. I wish that's just what we should tell everybody. That's just <laughs> yeah. what should be preached. Yeah. Facts don't care about your feelings. Truth doesn't care about your opinion. That's just what it is. And I'm sorry that you don't like it, but that's just what it is. But a yeah. glade is not a food plot. And so I see, okay, I plant. I, I bought this farm dirt cheap. Yep. Well, it's a glade, so I'm not surprised. Yep. I, and I've got this, this area that I want to be food plot because it's flat. It's ridge top, but it's mm-hmm. glade. Well, you might be able to get a good food plot for two years. Because it rained. You had a lot of rain. It was a cooler summer summer, or you had adequate rain for a couple of years. And you're like, man, this is this is easy. They said I couldn't do it. And then the next three years, it's hot and dry. And you're like, why can't I grow anything? And you pile more fertilizer and more lime to it. And you're like, and because it's a karst environment on and very thin soils, it all runs off. Anyhow, it leaches through and. You're right sitting there into struggling. The wa- right into the water table. Yep. You're sitting there struggling, realizing, ah, maybe maybe the site shouldn't have been a food plot. Maybe I I've, I've I, I didn't understand what this site should have been historically. Yeah. If I just al- would have allowed it to run its course and or restore or stay a grade, what it was. Yeah. Like okay, well you you went in, you plowed, or you sprayed out all the natives that had mm-hmm. deep root systems that took years to develop there. Well, now, because you wanted it to be a food plot, you have to wait years or go buy the seed to then plant it back to restore it to what it was. When, if we could have just looked at it at the beginning and go, okay, this site is a glade. It's a very sensitive site, and it's a very, I mean, it gets very hot here, and the plants that grow here are adapted to that. This is kind of one of these little delicate things I need to just leave alone. Mm -hmm. And 
maybe I go to a food plot somewhere else. Yep. And another one being um, people working around bottom ground. I was close say, to creeks yeah, or ahead. close to in, they're in a floodplain, let's say, okay. or riparian yep. area. Something that was a beaver swamp. I was going to bring yeah. in beavers into this discussion. Yeah. And but. so they go in and they blow out the beavers or they redirect the redirect the stream, mm-hmm. try to plant this this food plot area. A um, couple of things. It either blows its banks and you have a great food plot one year, and then the next year it's flooded, it's underwater, and the next year it's flooded and underwater. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, it's flooded so much, and every time I turn the soil I feel like I'm losing my topsoil. And now I'm getting into, like, sandy stuff and gravelly stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like that's because you tried to make it something that it's not. It's yeah, riparian it- area. Leave the trees there. Try to manage for wetland species. Make it a bedding area or add wetland species that are beneficial food, but don't you dare try to disturb the seed bank or the soil to create something that is really just going to be a bad problem You're just going to fight it. Yeah. It's just going to cause more problems. And and that's where, you know, we're getting into a a different, let's say, topic, but but your your time is just wasted at that point. You just wasted it because you didn't you didn't look at it and say what should this be? Let me just make it that because because I shouldn't make it a food plot with super wet feet because nothing that you're gonna plant is gonna really really love in a food plot variety the super wet feet, constant wet feet, or the consistent flooding that stays underwater for two weeks. Or you know you look at farm fields that that like. You hear farmers talk about, well, I can't get in there and plant until late in the summer, and then I can't get in there and get my crops out. Well, that that should tell you that it probably shouldn't be planted if you have that much issue. It's a floodplain. Yeah. I get it that there's good soils there, but it's not worth the time doing it because, let's say, six out of ten years, it's underwater when you should be planting or you should be harvesting. And likely the years that it's dry enough for you to plant, all your other crops are struggling <laughs> yeah and you know yeah um i think uh and not to scare people from from food plots or from other things that you go oh now i'm really questioning whether i should do anything well then that's another conviction that i have in the standpoint of preservation mm-hmm. and conservation and i believe and i'm convicted that landscapes need to be managed yes. not preserved um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, even historically you know there's if, always if we if we want to just get all oogly googly and feel warm and fuzzy on the inside and think about north america pre-settlement when it was just wild yeah um there was still major disturbance huge bison herds large fires Flooding probably wasn't much of an issue because of the amount of swamps that were around and, and the beaver dams were water everywhere. And, water was just yeah. basically setting. That's why they talk so much about mosquitoes being everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so flooding probably wasn't much of an issue from, but from the standpoint there was small, water everywhere. Localized, yeah, yeah. Flooding. There was water everywhere, yeah. and uh, um, I look at like, okay, well. Um, I now believe that there's too much preservation mindset going on, and I'm convicted that for a landscape to be healthy, it has to have active management. There's too many invasives. There's too much lukewarm or just stale land right now, and it's I've seen it all too often that it's not healthy. It's almost always declining. Mm-hmm. If it's not being actively managed, the landscape is declining. That is That is definitely truth. Yeah, that's definitely truth. Um, most times that it that it is being left alone, it is going into a situation where um, things are beginning to die out. And and I understand that, that is life and death is a natural part. I'm convicted by that. Life and death yep. is a natural part of of um, an area, or or just life in general, biology, creation. However, um, the timing out of resources like that when they can be utilized and managed differently um, suggests that they should just be managed initially, yeah. right? So Because they're not <coughs> getting managed naturally. Correct. Because like we've, removed, we've removed those disturbances in most areas. You couldn't go out and set a fire and just say, okay, you know, this is going to sweep across three counties. It would get put out within a mile most likely. Yeah. Um, 
tops. Now, that's not counting out west. Yeah. Um, it's right. a little different. Um, but around here, if I went, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of seeing this place like this. And I just I just drove the gravel road throwing matches out the window like they used to do. It wouldn't make it. It wouldn't make it three miles. No. no. And it'd be put out. Right. And so um, the historical disturbance is no longer present from, present from this in the same realm that it used to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of my big convictions, I guess, that I feel like I face so much when I hear when I hear terms and I don't I'm not getting into it on this podcast, but like rewilding or wilderness. Um so many times people t- like will talk to us about wilderness and and how it's a good thing and you know, in in my opinion, uh, I've seen too many wildernesses that are chocked full of invasives that aren't being actively managed because they've been classified as wilderness. Or, and it scares me. Or the diversity has drastically declined because it was it was a system that used to have fire. And grazing. And yeah. and, and grazing as aspects yeah. of that. And so yeah, it's um well that disturbances that, are that that's one of the big things that we have. Uh you know, going back, you can you can put little subtitles under each one or categories under yeah. each one of these each one of these convictions and one of them being that healthy landscapes are the that that a healthy landscape is diverse. Yes. And that's why we have such a problem with invasive species or no disturbance is we create monocultures. Well, and and right, so the, another subcategory under the first one that I shared was managing for diverse plant communities or just diversity on the landscape, but but I could have been more specific and said managing for native plant communities or or mm-hmm. diversity with native plants because yeah. that's another conviction that that native in this region in this um country that's that's what this system was built upon so if it's built upon that that's its foundation so why would we try and supplement a foundation for something that is um less than or not utilized yeah. by the species that we're trying to promote and, and the reason it wasn't the full category is because we do prom- we do promote and plant non-natives in food plots correct and and so there's a little bit of a little bit of a stretch where it's like, okay, well, we at least plant species that have been around for a long time that we know aren't invasive. Correct. And yeah. we know that if we don't like them, we can remove them pretty quickly mm-hmm. and get back to... They're easily controlled. <laughs> yeah, we can get back to a healthy landscape. Yeah. And, and and that goes with, okay, well, you plant monocultures of soybeans. Mm-hmm. Well, we use them as a tool to prepare for diversity. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, on, on my family farm... We planted monoculture soybeans the last few years because we're trying to control a uh, an invasive species called goosegrass. Yep, and it's been really problematic for us because of uh, our landscape and mm-hmm. because of the way we've managed our farm. And so um, we're doing things trying to remove it, but eventually we'll be planting uh, like a ten plus way blend in our food plots that are beneficial to more species rather than just deer and turkeys. Yep. Um, sure. And but that's not to say that we're going to set spend a few years preparing for diversity and controlling um, invasives that do everything in their power to prevent diversity. Yeah. Another and, and, and that just that's that's why I don't rip on invasives nearly as much as I'd like to. I mean, I think people would probably be shocked at how much time we spend reading. At least, yeah. I, I know we, you and I, read different information and we mm-hmm. share different ones. But like, what I'm really interested in is not necessarily what you're really interested in, and what you're really interested in, I'm not necessarily interested in. But it works well for our business yeah. because I can study things that. You, you may not be right. looking at. You bring so, different things to the table that I bring different things. And so to. I look at like invasives and read, you know, different ways to control and different ideas and different consequences of invasive, uh, invasive species spreading on the landscape, and it really is, I mean, frightening. Oh yeah. From the standpoint of like, we got guys still promoting them. We got organizations still selling them. We have um, people that. Preach that it's not big deal, and that it's not a big deal. When the truth is, it's a very big deal, and it is a problem anytime your landscape becomes a monoculture, because there's something within the food chain or within the 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 food web or whatever you want to call it that 
is not benefiting. And each time you get away from a diverse landscape, something is you're disrupting something is out of order. And And it could be insects, and then it trickles up to birds, and then it trickles up to the next thing, and the next thing, and before you know it, you're your your leaps and bounds or your right. years away from a healthy landscape because it's you ignored only, the truth. It's not only plants to animals, but it's also water infiltration because we're we're looking at the structures of those plants. We're looking at how they how they utilize um, you know water differently, or 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 how they their leaf litter yes. causes a major decrease in oxygen levels in water, in water and therefore has a huge negative impact. On um, fish, in, in, yep. on fish and any, other any type of invertebrates yep. living in that water, yep. because there's not De- much, o- not any oxygen, yeah, or very little. So, yeah, that what one of the next convictions is is that I'm I'm convinced that there's very few, if any, things in the biological world and creation. That is, that you can point to and say, this happened, and this is the direct cause. That was the only thing that influenced what it was that originally had happened. So, so to be one-dimensional, simp- yeah. one-dimensional connection, causation, right? Yeah. So, so in all that, the world of ecology is complex. Oh, totally. So we can't. It, it is very faulty, and it is not truth to simply state this happened because of that working in creation and in the natural world. There are so many other things at play, and I think that if you look for singled out reasons, because because it, it for a lot of people, I think it's just the human brain or, or the, a, a brain that isn't involved in working in natural resources daily, it's very... I'm going to air quote the word sexy to say that's the reason that's it let's fix that and we're good. No, that's not how it works. That's not that's not the complexity because our our very first original conviction was that God made this so complex that if if we acknowledge the fact that he was the original designer and it's not complex, wouldn't wouldn't that mean that that he's not omnipotent, that he's not amazing, that he wouldn't get glory, that his design isn't perfect and wonderful and it that it would be comprehensible, right? So yeah. so there's well, so many things that just like like let's just take predators and prey. Like no, like you can't just say the raccoon is the reason for turkeys or 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 um the the decline in turkeys or or snake is the reason that um quail populations decreased no that's not how it works it is so much more complex than simple statements like that yes totally and and you know when when you say something like that it's like when I look in the natural world and this happened and therefore that's the consequence and that's the connection and that's all that really matters. And then you look at this plant. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that I have been guilty of and still probably can, uh, guilty <coughs> of it is looking at a native plant and trying to decipher whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. When it's If it's a native plant, it's here for a reason. Yeah. I may not understand it, and I think one of the biggest mistakes I make is trying to say whether it's good or bad. And it's a native species, like eastern red cedar. The reason I rip on eastern red cedar, though, is therefore it likes to be monoculture. It's pretty aggressive. It's commonly found as a monoculture. I don't want yeah. them all removed, but I definitely want it managed. Mm-hmm. And you, wanna, you know, you want to put at, it in its place. I look at you know, just so many times we look at a native species and we say, "Oh, it's bad." Well, why is it bad? Oh, but the deer don't like it. Well, that doesn't make it bad. Yeah, that just means that it's not utilized by a deer. But maybe it's very beneficial to some other species. And you know, trying to understand or thinking, believing that one day. Or that sometime I'm going to study my way up to completely understanding the natural world is saying to me. I just say, well, my God's bigger than that. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to understand why He did this, and I'm okay in with its that. entirety. I don't want to know that because <laughs> yeah. if I if I believe I can capture that, then 
just how big is my God? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, he's so big, so powerful, so um, creative that I'll never be able to understand it, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And and so one of my big convictions is just overall, well, if you look at our list, it's that uh, the diversity is the best and healthiest landscape, uh, that disturbance is needed to create healthy landscapes, that the way God created it originally is probably the best. <laughs> probably, but we're in a fallen world now. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and so, um, you know, those those three, and I've, we've got a few more in there, but really it comes down to any any new technique, any new fad, any new product, any, any uh, practice that somebody sends to us and is like, hey, did you see this new thing they're doing? It runs through the gamut that we just that we just mentioned. Those convictions. How does it fall into diverse landscape? How does it fall into natural disturbance? How does it fall into true land health and understanding how they work? And then if it doesn't make the cut, then it has no place for us. And, and I want to say this, to be clear on it, we are not at all opposed to new information and new technologies that embrace those. We utilize that and we look for that and we do we do our own trial and errors all the time to try and find those things that would be new information for other people to use, but we make sure it goes through that checks and balance of these are the convictions, does it does it honor those? Or does it go against that? If it goes against it, it's probably not the best thing for the land. Nor, yep. if it's not the best thing for the land, it's probably not the best thing for the plants that grow on the landscape or the wildlife that need the plants that grow on the landscape. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Plain and simple. I'm trying to think of some examples of that that, that, have, that have hit. that. Um, oh, goodness. Without, you know, there's some things that I can't say because it would be too open out there. But... Uh, one of the big ones, I guess, is is autumn olive. Let's just say autumn olive screening, because it was very popular in the '90s, and no, we've been on properties too, yeah. where, okay, yeah, well, we want a quick growing screen that blocks the gravel road, so poaching is no longer an issue. Well, you brought the Trojan horse in, yeah. and autumn olive is non-native. Okay, well, that's not. I'm not completely in, against that because I do plant food plots in non-native species. Okay. But, but it's is non-native it, aggressive. But it's aggressive. We know that. Oh, wow. Well, actually, I would say it's invasive. And, yes, we know that because it is uh, USDA-listed invasive species. So, yep, sorry. It can't. It does not fit in our realm. We'll find another shrub that can fill that place. Yep. Um there's other ones. We don't need to go into detail. I think we've probably harped on them <laughs> enough yeah. in the past. But yeah. I think everyone understands the fact that if 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 you want to be, let's say, successful in getting the most out of your property or or a wild population that you're trying to enhance, you should probably, I don't want to say adopt your own or create your own convictions, but you need to study what it is you're trying to manage first to develop what it is that works yeah. and what doesn't work. And, and I think if you really look at the natural world and, and look at the way natural resources are managed and, and like you, you look at oaks, I know I'm going a little tangent here, but like their, their self-defense mechanisms and the, the way that and just a post oak grows develops bark at its base super dense it curls its leaves so it can handle fire it dries out quickly so it kills out saplings like maples and such that may want to encroach on it that don't handle fire tulip poplars when they're super young all these things like that's those are built-in defense mechanisms that like if you understand that plant the way it works in your landscape you can manage it better so, yep. so you have to look at the natural world and the way that it was designed to first understand where you can begin to have these convictions in the first place. But, but if you're just trying to go out and and 
create these convictions on willy-nilly stuff that you may have read online um, from a, uh, maybe not maybe not the most trustworthy resource, then you're going to have poor convictions that don't really get you anywhere. Like yep. You really need to look at look at facts to be able to have convictions that are based on truth. And, and so so our convictions, I would say, are, are built upon um, whether it's biblical truth or scientific truth, as well as real world evidence and application of these different techniques that, hey, whether we have done them or we have prescribed them through our consulting business and we have hundreds of clients in 30 states doing these things, then there's our evidence. Yeah. Here's what happens. Like we, we have case after case after case study of all these different things being applied and then the results to see what happens and how the vegetation responds and how the wildlife respond to that and, and how that population was low and how it kind of came back and all these different things. That's how we're able to develop these. So that's what we would encourage you guys to do as well. Study, research, understand it, and then develop these convictions that you base your management decisions off of or the way that you interpret information that you may read or come across. Um, It'll help you determine what you should be doing and what you should not be doing on your own property because like your conviction, we're conservatives. I mean, <laughs> conservationists, I'm sorry. <laughs> I saw the word and I just said it. We're conservationists. And, so and we just <laughs> lost a quarter of our <laughs> listeners. We are conservationists, so that means we're actively managing the landscape. That means we're we're doing something, so we have to have these convictions in place to be able to say, I'm doing this and not just letting these things just fall to the wayside and the preservation mine is overtaking the property itself. We're actively managing. That's right. As if they didn't already know, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we appreciate you listening this week. And, uh, man, find your why. Why, why yep. do you manage your farm? Why, why are you so intrigued and wanting to learn more about it? Um, and then build upon that. Figure out your how and uh, shoot. Get after it. That's right. Get after Send it. Send us a message on social media. We'd love to hear about your projects. and um, Love before and afters. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll be food plotting it soon. So be prepared for more and more, uh, more, and more content on the YouTube channel. Yep. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. We'll see you. Yeah.